0: Volume 2, Chapter 8 of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer Painter. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume 2, Chapter 8. The short remainder of the evening passed very unpleasantly to Celestina, while she continued in company, for Montague, to whom she could not prevail upon herself to be rude, was yet so dissatisfied, either from the constraint he observed she wore towards him, or from her long conference with Vavasour, that he could not conceal his concern, and sighed so loud and so long as to attract notice and some very acrimonious speeches from his mother mr thorold too she thought looked uneasy and arabella evidently disliked her more than before while the captain's rude examination of her countenance from which she always shrunk was now more painful to her than ever she got away as soon as possible but was far very far from finding repose in solitude all that vavasour had said now returned to torture her and instead of finding sleep when she retired to her pillow the same uneasy thoughts and harassing conjectures which had long rendered it of difficult acquirement had now received such a reinforcement as made it impossible for her to sleep at all she rose with the dawn of day hoping she might in the course of it see Cathcart, and yet from him she had little to respect as to her removal Unless he could find for her some farmhouse in the neighbourhood of Jessie, where she might have board and lodging. But even to this scheme there were objections. It would be too near the Thorolds. The young men might still visit her, and the report still obtain which Vavasor had repeated to her. Because, though Montague was really, she found, returning to Oxford in a few days, there would be other occasions of his being at home. It was also too near alverstone which since she almost despaired now of seeing again with pleasure she wished to escape seeing even at the distance from which she frequently beheld it when the clump of firs and some of the high grounds in the park conspicuous from almost every part of the country within ten or fifteen miles often drew from her heart many a bitter sigh about eight o'clock she saw cathcart enter the little lawn before the house and immediately went down to him he approached her with more than ordinary cheerfulness but in answering her questions told her he had not heard from mr willoughby i flattered myself you had said celestina sinking again into dejection for i thought cathcart you seemed unusually cheerful if anything could make me long so replied he when you my dear madam and my noble friend are divided and uneasy it would be the intelligence i have received about my sister whose situation you know and my solicitude for her and her children was indeed the only one mr willoughby's goodness would have left me if he had himself been as happy as he deserved to be and what then have you heard inquired celestina of mrs elphinstone that our husband who has been long wandering about the world is at length settled in a very remote situation indeed but one which he happens to like and which is likely to become profitable he is appointed to superintend the fisheries established by a society of gentlemen in the western islands of scotland and is already put in possession of a good house in the isle of skye thither my sister is about to follow him but i have prevailed upon her to send to me her two youngest children whom i shall put to nurse in some farmhouse where jessie or i can visit them every day the other two are as many as it will be possible for her to take care of and when she is settled i have engaged to conduct the little ones to her she has already received money from elphinstone to enable her to set out well equipped and waits only to see me before she takes leave of london And she says she hopes for ever and when do you go i propose setting out for london on thursday unless you or mr willoughby have any commands for me that may detain me longer alas cathcart said celestina i am afraid you will receive no intelligence of willoughby by that time but i can find i believe something for you to do for me which will rather expedite than detain you. Cathcart, then assuring her how happy every opportunity of showing his gratitude would make him, Celestina said, Well, then, my commands are simply these, that instead of going on horseback, you come hither in a post-chaise on Thursday morning and take me with you to see my dear Jessie, as I cannot go without having that satisfaction. And afterwards, Cathcart, you shall take me to london with you cathcart expressing some surprise at her resolution she told him that she would account for it as they went that devonshire was at present very unpleasant to her and that she fancied change of place would relieve her spirits more than all her reason and her philosophy which to tell you the truth cathcart said she may be accused of acting a little like horatio "'and I'm sometimes tempted to say to them, "'Is then the boasted purpose of your friendship "'to tell Callista what a wretch she is? "'Alas, what needed that? "'But, however, I find really, Cathcart, "'that I cannot here obey our dear friend "'in the points he most insists upon, "'those of keeping my cheerfulness "'and preserving my health, "'and I have a mind to try his remedy "'and ramble a little.' perhaps i may go to scotland with your sister do you think she would admit me as a travelling companion admit you dear madam said cathcart surely she would be but too much honoured but you can never be serious it is however very likely that i may become so at present my resolution is to take leave of this family and go with you to london you will see vavasour to-day and you may tell him so They then settled the hour at which the post-chaise was to be ready for her the next morning, save one. Cathcart returned to Alverston, and Celestina to the house, where she proposed taking the earliest opportunity of acquainting Mr. Thorold with her determination. She considered herself rather as Mr. Thorold's visitor than the guest of any other of the family, and wished to have his approbation for the step she was about to take, without however assigning the reasons that actuated her to take it she had frequently fancied of late that he saw more than he chose to notice and that though he was too generous to repent the friendly invitation he had given her he was too prudent not to foresee ill consequences from her long continuing to accept it in the midst of a large family to which he was greatly attached Mr. Thorold lived much of his time alone. His study and his parishioners divided the day, and, except at dinner and for about an hour afterwards, his wife and children saw very little of him. Celestina was uneasy till she had spoken to him, and therefore, when he rose to go for his walk after dinner, she inquired whether he would allow her to go part of the way with him, as she wished to speak a few words to him alone montague blushed deeply as she thus addressed herself to his father who led her however out of the room and taking her arm within his in his usual friendly way took the way towards the village street where he had he said some patients to visit that evening for he was the physician as well as the pastor of his people after a few minutes of embarrassing silence on the part of celestina she collected courage enough to tell him that in consequence of some intelligence she had learned from mr vavasour she had determined to go to london not under his convoy i hope cried mr thorold eagerly interrupting her no answered celestina a little startled by the manner in which he spoke not by any means with him or under his care but with mr Cathcart, who is going on business of his own. "'You know, my dear Mr. Mornay,' said Mr. Thorold, very gravely, "'that my house and my best advice are equally and always at your service. "'You may have reasons for quitting the one and rejecting the other, "'into which were I to inquire, it would produce for me nothing but mortification. "'I will not, then, inquire. "'I will only entreat you to consider well— whither and with whom you go mr Vavasor has i apprehend no mother or sister and you cannot be ignorant that he has the character of indulging himself in liberties which even in this age of freedom make him rather a marked man my dear sir replied celestina i have not the most distant idea of quitting your protection for one so little proper as Mr. Vavasour's must be, though he is the most intimate friend of Mr. Willoughby. "'But my meaning merely is—' "'Come!' cried Mr. Thorold, interrupting her. "'I will explain your meaning, or rather the meaning of Vavasour. "'He has been talking to you about my son Montague. "'He has represented the impropriety of your listening to such sort of conversation "'as I know Montague has more than once entertained you with is it not so i own it is said celestina in some confusion i do not blame him rejoined mr thorold and if his vigilance is the effect of friendship i commend him nor do i my dear ward disapprove of your wishing to shun the boyish importunity of montague i only entreat you to reflect well on your removal and to remember that notwithstanding mr Vavasour's intimate connection with willoughby i consider myself as having some claim to your confidence and as in some degree answerable for your disposal of yourself you are very good dear sir and deserve i am sure my gratitude as well as my confidence you deserve too that i should speak to you with the utmost sincerity she then related to him all that Vavasour had said to her of the reports that had obtained relative to her and mr Montague, and concluded by saying that though she highly esteemed his son and had the most grateful regard for the whole family she could not listen to these reports without concern because they might be displeasing to him and injurious to views he might have for his son even putting herself out of the question i think therefore dear sir added she That it will be better for me to put an end to my visit for this time and to travel into the north with a sister of mr cathcart's who is going thither change of scene will relieve my spirits and wandering give me perhaps a new relish for the beauties of devonshire where believe me i shall be most happy to return whenever i can do it without subjecting my best friends as well as myself to uneasiness i am vexed said mr thorold that the romantic temper of montague has made this removal necessary in your idea he goes very soon to oxford indeed in a few days and afterwards perhaps you would find my house less objectionable as to the gossip of the country you are i hope too wise to mind it and i have long since learned to despise it That therefore should not weigh with me at all but in return for your charming sincerity i will speak very plainly to you montague is a young man of good abilities and of an excellent heart but the violence of his passions keep me in perpetual concern lest they should deprive me of all the happiness that i may hope to derive from such a son and already i have twice with great difficulty delivered him from engagements he had made with young women quite unworthy of him engagements which though he soon saw the folly and impropriety of them he fancied his honour obliged him to keep another i know not who one perhaps not much superior to these as i learned by a friend who keeps a steady eye upon him had succeeded to the imaginary possession of his affections when last he came home i was uneasy at it but perhaps considered my own feelings too much and yours too little when i saw with pleasure his instant admiration of you i encouraged it because i hoped that in learning what true merit was he would hereafter be less liable to be misled by the poor semblance of it when aided by a pretty face or a slender shape at the same time i thought i had sufficiently guarded him Against any excessive attachment, by representing to him your situation, and convincing him it would be not only presumptuous but hopeless. I believe, however, from some late observations I have made, that I have judged ill, and to save him from maladies that might be trifling or curable, have exposed him to the severer misfortune of feeling a real passion where he can meet with no return celestina could not with sincerity disclaim what she had so much reason to fear was true affecting however to believe that mr Montague would soon lose the impression when she was no longer present and would find many infinitely more worthy of his affection who might be proud to receive and at liberty to return it she renewed the subject of her going to london besought mr thorold still to honour her with his friendship and promised to return to him again in the winter if no objection should arise to his receiving her she heard with gratitude the advice he gave her about do not said he put yourself too much in his power under the idea of his being the chosen friend of willoughby he is called and i believe is a man of honour in the common acceptance of the term but i am afraid there is little real honour among those who are in any respect so very licentious as vavasour is said to be in regard to your sex the style in which he lives among a certain description of women is not only the means of degrading all in his opinion but hardens the heart while it corrupts the morals and with all vavasour's boasted honour i dare say he is a man who if he happened to take a fancy to the mistress of his friend would steal her affections and her person without hesitation and suppose that by an appeal to the sword or pistol to vindicate the wrong he had done the action however unprincipled would derogate nothing from his honour surely sir said celestina willoughby would not have so much friendship for vavasour were he such a man i don't know my dear answered mr thorold that Vavasor is such a man but you will allow at least that it is very probable and as to willoughby's friendship i am afraid that is no criterion of merit the college friendships of young men but let me not make you too much out of humour with the world while i mean only to put you upon your guard against the evil with which it too often teems towards unprotected youth and loveliness It grieves my heart to let you go but upon the whole if you promise to write to me often to remain with this sister of Cathcart's, who is i conclude a woman of character and to take no new course without informing me above all to keep yourself quite out of the power of abbasaur and not to be introduced to any of his acquaintance by way of staying with them unless you are very certain who they are i say on all these conditions I will not oppose your going, though it hurts me to consent to it. Celestina, having thus relieved her mind by explaining herself to her generous friend, became better satisfied than she had been for some time, and found at least an alleviation of the concern that preyed on her heart in the idea of change of place. She parted soon after from Mr. Thorold, whose business she was fearful of interrupting, and walked back towards the house, intending to open her intentions of leaving them to the rest of the family when they were assembled to their tea. Montague, however, who had never lost sight of her, but had followed her and his father at a distance during their walk, now hastened across the field she was in to meet her. His eagerly inquiring eyes were fixed on her face when he came up to her, but not daring to ask the subject of her conference with his father, nor able to turn his thoughts from it, he only said, "'Well, Mr. Mornay, you've left my father?' "'You see, I have,' said Celestina, smiling, "'and I have left him well satisfied with the reasons I have given for quitting his hospitable roof on Thursday.' "'Quitting it!' exclaimed Montague, turning pale. "'Quitting it!' what are you going to leave us then and before i go to oxford my good friend replied she you did not surely suppose that i was to be a perennial visitor at your father's i have now been here almost a month and you must certainly allow that to be a very long visit from a person who till within five weeks had not the good fortune to be known to your family at all i know not said montague sighing what i thought or what i supposed but i would to heaven i could forget having ever seen you as easily as i am convinced you will lose the remembrance of me celestina with one of those fascinating smiles which lent such peculiar charms to her countenance now assured him that he was mistaken indeed said she i shall always remember you all with pleasure and with gratitude well answered he i thank you and i thank you for not accepting me and by putting us all together showing that you have no particular favourite in the family but that one is as indifferent as another but however i wish you would not smile for i cannot bear it ridiculous cried celestina i am amazed mr montague that with your understanding you give way so frequently to such absurd fits of hardly know what to call it a romantic style of behaviour which you seem to think women like whereas i assure you that to me at least it is the most unpleasant in the world when did you ever see me in this romantic style as you are pleased to term it with any woman but yourself i never did because i happen not to have seen you with any other women than those of your own family But you know that your mother your sister and your brother they even your father all have repeatedly said it was your way with everybody they are mistaken however and i own i have often mistaken a transient degree of liking for love which i never felt no never till i saw you for several virtues have i liked several women never any with so full soul but some defect in her did quarrel with the noblest grace she owed and put it to the foil but you oh you so perfect and so peerless were created of every creature's best there now said celestina that is exactly what i complain of there is no rational conversation with you capable as you are of adorning it but, as arabella very truly says you do nothing but make speeches out of otway or shakespeare arabella did not say i made speeches but that i made love and i make love because i feel it feel it to an excess which is dreadful because i know and have known from the beginning that it is hopeless but as this hurts nobody but myself i don't see why it should displease you or why you should affect to misunderstand or attempt to laugh off a passion which whatever may be its effect on me can never disturb your tranquillity or that of your fortunate lover celestina finding him thus serious thought it would be better and indeed more generous not to pretend ignorance of his meaning and to reason with rather than rally him she therefore dropped the gayer tone with which she began the conversation, and said gravely, Mr. Montague, I will not affect then to misunderstand you. I am undoubtedly honoured by your partiality, and very much concerned if it is the source of present pain to you. Let it become rather a source of pleasure to us both, by reducing it to that generous and disinterested friendship which i may return with satisfaction and for those warmer sentiments which you now suppose are entirely diverted from any other object seek one who can deserve and return them and spare me i beseech you the pain of believing even for a moment that i have brought solicitude and suffering into any part of a family to which i am so much obliged i need not tell you my situation you know it is a very comfortless and a very uncertain one perhaps i may never see mr willoughby again or if i do perhaps i may see him the husband of another but in either case my attachment to him is unalterable and were i sure to-morrow that we are divided never again to meet i should only think of submitting in such a way as would least wound him to a blow which i am sure he will not voluntarily give me but never of running the hazard of making unhappy some equally worthy man by giving to importunity what i can never give to love for my heart has been willoughby's ever since i knew i had one and it will be his till i remember it no longer montague gave no other answer to this than a deep sigh and celestina pausing a moment to recover herself from the emotion her words had occasioned went on you love quotations and undoubtedly recollect though perhaps from an author i ought not to quote these words il n'y a a point d'homme pour celle qui aime son amant est plus tous les autres sont moins." montague now impatiently interrupted her you need not said he thus refine on the cruelty with which you tell me that you can never throw away a thought on me i knew it before and in the wildest paroxysms of that passion which i glory in feeling and in cherishing i never dared flatter myself that you would yet perhaps even this fortunate willoughby himself this happy man who may neglect you leave you for another and yet still be beloved is not more capable of an ardent, a sincere affection than I am. If he leaves you for ever, good God, even if he entirely deserts you, you will still love him. Even then, no other would have any hope. None, said Celestina, for then I will never marry. But, my good friend, this is an uneasy subject to us both. Let us then never resume it allow me to offer you my friendship and my esteem and to assure you that this sudden partiality which believe me you will soon and easily conquer is the only subject on which i cannot listen to you with pleasure they were now so immediately before the parlour windows that montague who saw the family assembled there at tea dared not give way to what he felt but asked her in a lower voice when she went she told him the day after the morrow again he sighed and when they got into the hall turned towards his own little study which was on the same floor while celestina went to join the party in the parlour where she found mr Bettinson, whom she understood was now the professed lover of miss thorold and so entirely did he now occupy the attention both of her and her mother that they hardly noticed the entrance of celestina she took however the earliest opportunity of a pause in their conversation to signify her design of going on the following thursday miss thorold contented herself with coldly saying she was sorry to lose her so soon and her mother even less civil as her husband was not by said and pray mr morney where are you going to london madam to london bless me and pray who are you going to there to a mrs elphinstone i believe ma'am you believe and pray when do you go on thursday madam and alone no madam not alone then who do you go with with mr cathcart madam oh with mr cathcart and pray how do you go in the stage no madam replied celestina blushing at the indelicacy with which all these questions were asked before a stranger "'How, then, pray? In post-chaises, madam?' "'Ha! Post-chaises are expensive!' Here she stopped, being unable to find any other questions, or rather not daring to ask any more, as her husband and eldest son that moment came in with Captain Musgrave. Celestina, however, interpreted the look she put on as saying, "'No matter how you go, so long as you do go,' And again she congratulated herself on the resolution she had taken. End of chapter 8